Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Good to be with you guys tonight. I'm so pumped that you guys are here. Wednesday night, best night of the week. Who, who believes that? That's right. Best night of the week. So pumped that you guys are here. Hey, if you are brand new tonight, if this is your first time here at Citizens, I met a couple of you uh, before uh, the gathering started. Welcome. I'm so glad that you guys are here. We are a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. If that's something that you want to be a part of, uh, if that's a community you want to be a part of, then you are welcome here. We're so happy that you guys are here. Can we just give it up for the people who are brand new and say, yes, you're welcome. Thanks, guys. Love it. Love the energy in the room. It's great. All right, we're in a brand new uh, series. We started a brand new series uh, last week called Faith in Action. Where are we at in the Bible? Does anyone know? We're in the book of? Uh, book of James. And very small text right there. We're in the book of James. We're going to be diving deep into the book of James for the next, like, couple of weeks. And I'm so excited because James is imploring his listeners to put their faith into action. James is writing uh, and he is uh, challenging these first century believers to not just be hearers of the word. It, like it, to him, he says, it's not good enough that you would sit and listen to God's word. It's not uh, good enough to just simply understand that that's true. It's not, good, uh, it's not even good enough to agree that that's true. But James says to put your faith into action. It's not just enough to hear the word, but to do the word. And so that's what James tells his uh, listeners to do all throughout his book. Over the 108 verses, over half of those verses include imperatives. Do this, don't do that. Consider it all joy when you face trials. Fix yourself then to God. Submit yourselves to God. Show no partiality. There's specific commandments all throughout this book that we are able to learn from and we're able to apply to our lives today. But tonight we're going to be looking at a passage that's really, really interesting. We're going to be in verses 9 through 18 tonight in James chapter 1. And James is going to kind of drop like a truth bomb on the scene right now. We're in the context of trials and difficult circumstances, and James is going to be dropping some serious theological bombs on the scene, right? And through this, I want our, our perspective to be shifted. Through this, I want our perspective to be shifted. What you do on a daily basis, the actions you take, the things you think, the things you say, it all depends on your perspective in life. Your perspective and your beliefs motivate you and your actions. James is calling his listeners, right, like we said, to specific actions throughout this, his book. But here in this passage, I think that James is speaking uh, to his listeners so that they would think differently about the trials they're enduring. That James introduces this paradigm shift, this shift of perspective. Because perspective changes everything. Perspective changes everything. Our perspective changes how we live our lives for Jesus. I have here on the stage with me a pair of glasses. Yes, no, what are we thinking? Yes, no. So I don't wanna flex on anyone big time here, but I've got 20-20 vision, so just, yeah, there we go. And so I don't need glasses. So now when I put these glasses on, these aren't prescribed to me. 
things look different to me. The text looks different, the back row looks different, and if I take them off, I'm back to normal. And if I put on a different pair of glasses, what would happen? The same type of thing, right? All right, let's see how we feel about these ones. Better? Less good? Good? No? Somewhere in between? The perspective that you have changes what you can see. It's through our perspective that we uh, act out our lives. It's through the perspective that we have that we are able to um, engage with the world around us. If you have the perspective that your life is all about you, it's all about partying, it's all about having fun while you're here, then your actions are going to reflect that. If your perspective is that others are important and our job is to love others and uh, to be with others, then your actions are going to reflect that. James challenges his uh, listeners tonight, or his listeners in this letter, I believe, to watch their perspective. And tonight's uh, message is called Perspective Check. We're gonna go over a couple different ideas tonight, and it's kind of this ebb and flow through different ideas. We see uh, this back and forth between what God does give us, what God doesn't give us, and then we also see uh, this back and forth between uh, the things that are gonna last and the things that aren't gonna last. And so tonight for you, my prayer is that you would see through this truth, through this perspective, I'd pray that you would see that and put your faith into action in a different way maybe this week. We're looking at four different truths and I'm praying that you would latch on to maybe just one of them and that you would take that into this next week. All right, you guys ready to jump in? Yeah? All right, let's do it. Let's pray and then we're gonna be in verse nine. God, thanks for this day. Thank you so much for your word, God. I'm praying that you would uh, be with me right now uh, during this message. I pray that I would just uh, speak only your truth, that my opinion and, and, and my personal ideas, God, would they fade to the background and would your, pers- uh, would your perfect word be our light tonight, God? Would you give us your perspective on the things of this earth, God? We love you. We're so thankful for you. It's all that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right. James 1, verse 9, read along with me. It says this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass and its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to all of those who love him. So here we see these two contrasting ideas, I believe. Here's point one for us. The riches of this world don't last, but God's kingdom will. Go ahead and write that down. The riches of this world won't last but God's kingdom will. I think that's this really cool back and forth in this passage that we see here. James has a radical paradox here where he says, hey, let the lowly brother, in verse nine, boast in his exaltation, aka the, the, the place that God has placed him in, the way that God has exalted him, and let the rich boast in what? His humiliation. James says that there are things here that are on this earth that will not last. There are things that we pursue, there are things that people pursue that simply aren't gonna withstand the test of time. 
And James comes out of the bat and says, hey, those who are uh, poor, those who are lowly, they're actually in a really good spot because they get a front row view of God's kingdom. They, they get a front row view into seeing what is happening in the kingdom of God. And those who are pursuing riches, those who are uh, rich inside of the world's eyes, well, all they have to do is boast in their eventual humiliation because the things that they're pursuing are gonna fade away. All right, well, it's really important to remember context here, right? The context of what uh, is being written here in scripture is super, super important. James is writing to a bunch of first century believers, many of whom are facing uh, severe trials in the midst of their hearts right now. They're facing, they're facing severe trials because of the newfound faith in Jesus. Many of these people would have lost influence in their communities. Many of them would have lost homes. Some of them would have lost their jobs, and some of them would have been facing the reality of persecution and even to the point of death. And James is saying, hey, you can take joy in those trials, right? We talked about that last week, because those things that you lost for Jesus' sake are burning up anyway. Those things that you lost, believer, those things are burning up anyway. They're fading. They're withering. Some scholars say here, look at verse 9, let the lowly brother. Some scholars would say that uh, that's a reference to just a person who's experiencing trials. Some other scholars would say that that is just referring to somebody who's in uh, financially not an affluent position. They're in a, a spot where they don't have a lot of money. And I think that the reality is somewhere in the middle. I think the reality is that James is writing to probably a group of believers who are experiencing a trial, and the trial being they have lost some of their income, they have lost some of their old way of life because of their newfound faith in Jesus. And they're being persecuted for uh, those uh, new beliefs. And James shows us here in this very uh, passage that the things that are important to the world are not important in the kingdom of God. The things that are important to the world are not important to the kingdom of God and vice versa because money power, influence, it doesn't last here on earth. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. James says, think about the blessings of not having anything. To the person who has now uh, lost what the world would say is success, to the person who has lost those things, James is saying, no, 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 uh, let you rejoice, boast in that position, because God has given you a position to see the kingdom of God clearly. And the people who uh, still are rich, the people who, and, and in this specific case, many of them would have been persecuting the believers, James is saying, don't look at to them as uh, this, the uh, perfect image of what you want to be. Don't look to those people as the gold standard of how to live a good life. James is saying those things that they're acquiring, that wealth, that influence that comes with wealth, those are fading away rapidly. And the thing that you have is faith in Jesus. So you need to be boasting in your position. It's this paradox shift, right? This perspective that the things that are important in the kingdom of God are not important in the world and vice versa. The things of the world aren't important in God's kingdom. James here is reiterating what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God and in the, on the Sermon on the Mountain. This is where James is offering a perspective shift. Let the lowly brother, the person who doesn't have a lot, the person who maybe has lost a lot because of their faith in Jesus, boast 
in the high position you are. Because the people who are hoarding on and latching on to their power and influence, it's not gonna last long. It's not gonna last forever. And maybe not even last their lifetime. Think about the blessings of having nothing. Their things are fading away, but the things that you have aren't. Things change, right? Things change throughout life. Things change throughout, not just like in the grand scheme of like the whole universe, things are gonna change, but like things change within like the past like five to 10 years, right? I think style's a good example of this. How many of you guys have looked at like old pictures of yourself and you're like, man, I can't believe I used to wear that. Like what in the world? That is ridiculous that I used to wear that. I think a prime example of like how styles change, how things come and go. I think a good example of this is uh, like skinny jeans. So when I was in like eighth grade, Skinny jeans were like just like becoming a thing. And it was this really interesting thing where everyone like made fun of them at first. It was like, oh, a certain type of person, a certain person uh, who was maybe like a rock star or like a pop star would like wear skinny jeans. And everyone was like, wow, that is so weird. And then like two years later, they're like, it's like the law of the land, right? It's like everyone's wearing skinny jeans. And if you have baggy jeans, it's like, you kind of look like a hillbilly now. That's super weird. And now I've learned that like, Apparently, skinny jeans are, like, canceled now. Like, that's a thing that maybe has happened in the past, like, couple weeks. Has that happened or not? I think I read something that Gen Z was like, no more skinny jeans. I, I don't know. And now, like, so things change, right? Things don't last, not even, like, 10 to 5 years. Things are constantly changing. I think another good example of this is, has there ever been something you wanted, like, so badly, like, in a specific season of your life? And then like later you look back at that thing you wanted so bad and you're like, I don't even remember why I wanted this thing, right? Like, what did I even see in this thing? Good example for me, it's 2008, so I'm 11 years old. I realized like some people, no one was like born in 2008 in this room, right? Yes. Maybe like some of the super young, really? Oh my goodness gracious, that's terrifying. Um, anyway, so I'm like 11 years old and there's this new system, a new gaming system that has come out that I swear is going to change the world. It is called the Nintendo Wii. And I am just like, it's great, right? You're not really helping my point. The point's gonna be at the end that it's not as great. Just, just bear with me. So I wanted the Nintendo Wii so badly. I was 11 years old and people at this point, the Wii just comes out, people are physically assaulting other human beings to get their hands on the Wii to sell it on eBay. This is like madness. They could have manufactured more. They know that they're just being jerks. But anyway, I wanted one of them so badly and my parents were like, it's not gonna happen. And I was like, why? Why can't it happen? And they're like, because reasons. And I was like, oh man, that's a bummer. I wanted this thing so badly, and then on surprise, Christmas morning, 2008, there it is under the Christmas tree, a brand new Nintendo Wii. And I was like, yes, my life is complete. I will never be happier than this moment right now. This will be the happiest I will ever be in my entire life. I will play the Nintendo Wii for the next 30 years of my life, mom and dad. Thank you, I promise. And where's the Wii now for me? Sitting in a box somewhere, probably collecting dust. I have no idea. Things change. Things don't last the test of time. Things that were important aren't important at the, end of the, at the end of the day. And James is writing to these people and he's saying that the rich, those who have inherited things, those that are putting faith and trust in the things, those who are uh, using their riches to have influence over others, James is saying, take heart, be encouraged. 
those things are not going to last. Those things aren't going to last. Look at the imagery here in verses 10 and 11. Look down at the text. It says this, and let the rich, right, boast in their eventual humiliation as the things will fade, because like a flower of the grass, James dropped some poetry on us here, it seems like, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The riches of the world are fading, friends. And James is encouraging his listeners to exalt or to be proud and boast in their exalted position of lowliness. It's the exact opposite of what the world would tell you. It's the exact opposite of what our goal would be. People would have been in this moment stressed out. I can't believe I lost my job. I can't believe I lost this or that because I was following Jesus. The world would have pointed at them and saying, was it really worth it following Jesus? You lost all this stuff. And James is saying, be encouraged. Be encouraged by your faith in Jesus because it will last the test of time. It will last. So now I kind of feel like we have to address the question, like, is it wrong to have a certain amount of financial blessings? Like, James is pretty harsh out of the bat here about uh, the rich and how they're going to fade away. Is it wrong to have a certain amount of financial blessings? Well, I don't think James is uh, speaking to a specific, um, a specific number, right? Like, if you make this much money a year, like, that's kind of sin. But if you're down here, like, that's fine. James is speaking to a heart uh, set, a mindset of the people who would have been hoarding these things, who would have been uh, idolatrizing these uh, uh, wealth is, wealth, what am I saying? This wealth, they would have been viewing this as the end all be all. And James is saying, take heart. Know that those things are fading, but your faith won't. But your faith won't. I also don't want us to have a pessimistic viewpoint, right, at the end of this. Like, I don't want you to go home and be like, Mom, I really can't do the dishes tonight because everything at the end of the day is going to fade away. <laughs> Mom, dishes perish, beauties perish like the grass, and you're like trying to remember what the Bible says, and she's like, no, do the dishes, right? I'm not saying I have a pessimistic view on life, like nothing matters anymore. We're done. It's all going to be over at the end of it, right? That's not what it's saying. That's not what the text is saying. I don't want a bunch of emails from your parents being like, my kid dropped out of school and is like hitchhiking around the Portland Metro, figuring it out because like you said, life doesn't matter. That's not what the Bible's saying. Is it wrong to pursue these things? No. But James is contrasting the blessings of knowing and being with God to the reality of our disappearing and disappointing world. He's contrasting the blessings of being and knowing with God to the things of this world that will not last. He's encouraging the believer who's in a lowly position to recognize that God is in the midst of them and that God is doing something in their heart, that God is with them. Quick question for you then, knowing this. What's the end goal of your pursuits? What's the end goal of your current pursuits? What's your perspective on your current goals and your current pursuits? Don't spend your whole life raking in a bunch of dead grass. Don't spend your whole life trying to compile a collection of dead 
flowers. Like I said, I'm not saying nothing matters at all anymore. I'm asking you, what is your perspective on your pursuits? What's the end goal? What's the end goal? Those who are rich in this world must take, must boast in the reality of their eventual humiliation. James is saying, even that, those, uh, even that those who are in a humble position should recognize the blessing of their position. Even though the world tells them you might be worse off now, you might be in a worse spot, James is saying, take heart and boast where you're at. He's contrasting the blessings of what? Knowing and being with God to what the world says is important. So what is the goal then, Right? Looking back at the text, looking at what it says, looking at the reality of the things of this world that are fading, what should our end goal be? Where where should our perspective be focused on? Verse 12 says this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. That's something that's going to last, friends. That's something that is going to last the test of time. The one who remains steadfast under trial, the one who faithfully endures all the disappointments, all the difficulties, all the pain of this world. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him, then friends, be encouraged and know that at the end of this, we finally get to see Jesus face to face. And he offers us, he offers his people, what? The crown of life. That's something that's gonna last. That's something that's gonna stick around, friends. If you know Jesus, there is an eternal reward waiting for you that could not compare to things that aren't even gonna last long anyway. That's where our perspective needs to be focused, friends. That's where we need to be looking at. Let's talk about this thing, the crown of life. For when he has stood the test, right, the tests of life, the trials of life, then he will receive the crown of life. These crowns aren't a status symbol that we're going to get in heaven. I've heard it taught like that before. I don't think that's true. These crowns aren't like a, hey, well, like, I know things aren't going to last here, but maybe I can be, like, really competitive with my fellow believers once we get to heaven. Like, who's going to have a bigger mansion? Who's going to have a bigger house? I don't think that's consistent with what the Bible teaches. The crown of life is James specifically telling his listeners to remember the things that are going to last. Remember, think, and dwell upon that eternal reward. There's this beautiful image in in Revelation 4 where the people of God, where the elders specifically are casting their crowns down at the feet of Jesus saying, you alone are worthy, you alone are holy. God, only because of you, we even had these things, so we give it right back to you. These things, these crowns, they're not a status symbol. James and and John and Paul, they all mention certain crowns in their letters and their various writings. These things are to remember the, the future that we have as believers in heaven. And friend, if you know the Lord, then you can take heart in knowing that after the trials of this life, you get to meet Jesus face to face. That's something that's not gonna change. That's something that won't change. So the question now is, what's more important to you? What's more important to you currently? Kingdom mission 
or earthly accomplishments? Where's your heart at right now? Are you focused on a kingdom mission? Or are you kind of dabbling around in the earthly accomplishments side as well? Because one of them is going to last. The other one's not. Friends, is it wrong to want to achieve something? Is it wrong to want to be valedictorian? Is it wrong to desire to be a businessman or businesswoman? Is it wrong to uh, desire a certain level of leadership and influence over others? I don't think so in and of themselves. I wouldn't say those things are wrong, but what is the end goal? Is your heart in the midst of those pursuits just so you can finally get a bunch of money, finally so I can have a, just a bunch of money, finally so I can be the boss and nobody can tell me what to do anymore. I'll tell other people what to do. Finally so I can have people listening to me. Is that the end goal? But through the midst of those accomplishments, is it possible to accomplish things and have a kingdom mindset? Yes, absolutely. Because God can give us those things for his glory and for his purposes. God can give us those things as part of our testimony. But what's the end goal for you right now? Is it just so you can say you were valedictorian? Is it just so you can get to that one school? James is saying the things of this earth are gonna fade. But at the end of it, at the end of the trials, at the end of the pain, at the end of our lives, there's one thing we can focus on. There's only gonna be one person that we're talking about in heaven, and that's Jesus. That's what we have to fix our gaze to. Friends, hold fast to a kingdom mindset. Don't get distracted with the things of this world. Don't get distracted uh, by the things that we could accomplish for ourselves in our own selfish and personal pursuits. Keep your eyes on verse 12 and the truth of what it says. When you stand the test of time, when you uh, withstand the tests of this life, will receive the crown of life which God has promised to all of those who love him. Keep your eyes focused on the mission. Keep your eyes focused on this kingdom. Continuing on, let's look at the next part of this text together, uh, starting at verse 13. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation due to shadow or change. Variation of shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Continuing on uh, this idea, we saw things that are gonna last, the kingdom of God, and we saw things that aren't gonna last, the riches of the world. And what is this passage talking about? Point two, God doesn't give us temptation. God gives us good and perfect gifts. Something that God does give us, good and perfect gifts. Something that God doesn't give us, temptation. Looking at this passage here. Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Let's think about God's character here. 
Let's think about who God is. There's no sinfulness in God. God is holy, meaning he is separate. He is set apart from the things of this world and the sinful desires that we have. God is completely separate from these things. The sinfulness of man and the holiness of God could not be more opposite of each other, right? There's no like part of that Venn diagram that overlaps. They are completely opposite of each other. And here we get a really good perspective, the fact that God cannot be tempted with evil because God himself is not evil. It's not a part of his character. It's not something that he can do. So there's that word, sin. A lot of us in this room right now probably have a different perspective on what sin is. Maybe you've heard it in a certain context before. Maybe you've heard of it um, from a parent, grandparent. Maybe you've not heard of sin before. Sin is missing the mark of God's holiness. At the end of the day, that's it. Sin is missing the mark of God's holiness. God has set a standard to be like him, to, uh, to be holy and to be made holy like him. And sin is anything else that is not that. And that's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark of God's holiness. So friend, if you're in this room, and, and maybe you've been a believer for a while and you, you feel like this is an obvious point, but maybe to the new believer, someone who's been following the Lord for a little bit, maybe someone who's not following the Lord yet, I'm here to tell you that uh, James uh, shows us this truth that God is not the one who is tempting you to sin. God is holy. God's goal for you is to be made like him. God's goal for you is to uh, be perfect like Jesus and to be made and molded and shaped every single day into that image, to be more like Jesus. And so nowhere along the path does God desire for you to be sinful. Now, God does give us trials in this life. Yes, God does put things in our path that would uh, try us. But those things are for what? His goal is to perfect, to create a more perfect faith in us. God would never put something in your life that would lead you, intentionally lead you to sin. That's not God's character. There are temptations and trials that would allow us to be perfected and molded by the trial. And then in our own sinfulness and our own desires, we may be tempted to sin. Every test could lead to sin, right? Someone cuts you off in traffic or somebody uh, spreads lies about you. You can either react like God or you can give in to your own desires, your own sinfulness. But God is not the one who is tempting you. Friend, you can't blame God for your sinfulness. And you can't blame God for the consequences of your sin either. That's a tough one to swallow. God never tempts us in a way where that temptation would then lead to sin. It's our own desires, looking down here at the text, it's our own desires that bring us to sin. God's desire and God's heart for you is the complete opposite of sinfulness. It's very interesting it, it, James is just showing just how ridiculous it, it is to assume that God would be the one who's up there like a cosmic bully trying to just like throw you off the path by trying to send these things that would allow you to not act like him. James is just like absolutely destroying this idea here in the text, showing that it's not possible. It's kind of like if you were training to be a pilot and you were training with someone who's been a pilot for 30 years 
and this person's like the best and you're training with them and you guys are like practicing landing the plane, which I would imagine would be a pretty tough part of the process, a little bit of a stressful moment. Imagine that this pilot is training you and you're about to land the plane and he's guiding you, he's teaching you all this way. And at the very end, as the plane's about to touch down, he says, okay, now don't do anything with the landing gear, just like don't release the landing gear and crash the plane. You'd be like, what? That is a bad teacher. That is a bad pilot. Or if you were trained to be a doctor, right? And a, a doctor has come alongside of you to teach you how to help others. And let's say that this doctor has been helping people for years and they're training you on how to do it. And they get to the point where you're with a patient and they're like, all right, now this person's in severe pain. Don't like do anything and just like let it happen. And you're like, that is a really bad doctor. It's just like the complete opposite of the goal, right? You want to keep the plane in the air or not crash. You want to keep patients healthy. And so James is opening up this idea saying, God cannot be tempted by evil. It's not a part of his character. And friends, it's not in his plan and his goal for you to be engaged in sinful behavior. God wouldn't throw those things to you. God wouldn't lead you to that spot. Holiness becoming more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're going for as believers. That's what our perspective is set on. But we're not perfect. There's all uh, references throughout scripture to the old self, right? When God has uh, met you where you are at, right, in your sinfulness and you've become a believer in him, we still struggle and we are still constantly putting off the old self, which is uh, fond of its old ways and its own path. But James shows us here a clear escalation of sin, starting in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death enticed by his own desire. So where does it start? The desires of our heart. And then after the desires of our heart, what happens? The desires conceived and gives birth to sin, missing the mark of holiness. Friends, we all have desires. We all have things that we want. And it's okay to have those things. It's okay to have a desire for connection. It's okay to have a desire for accomplishment or affection or uh, some amount of love. But it's when we... Uh, there is a process here when we don't use those desires for godliness and what? When desires conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, what does the text say? Look down. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Death. I think it's really interesting what we see. Jesus, at the end of our lives, gives us what? The crown of life. What does sin bring us? Death. That's probably the simplest comparison you could ever have. Jesus equals life. Sin equals death. I think it's really cool that those are contrasted here in the scriptures. Sinfulness isn't just like a little less good than what God wants you to do. Like if God's like mark of holiness is here, sin isn't like, okay, like if I'm, I'm trying my hardest to be like God, sometimes I hear, and if I sin, maybe I'm like down here a little bit. 
Like if I engage in sinful behavior, if I engage in things that God doesn't want me to do, like I'm just like a little bit off, right? No. Jesus is life and sin is death. Those things aren't comparable, friends. You're missing the mark of holiness. We miss the mark of holiness when we what? Give in to our desires. Sin isn't just a little less good than what God wants you to do. Sin isn't just like, if I tried hard enough, right, I would be there. Sin isn't this weird uh, hierarchy where God's here and like, if I'm acting on my own sinful desires, maybe like a little bit under here, but I can get towards it eventually. Those things lead to death. If God's mark is here, sometimes I feel like we're tempted to say, all right, well, I'll be following, the God, uh, I'll be following God and sometimes I'll give in to my sinful desires. But like at the end of it, like it'll probably all average out and I'll be probably pretty close in the end, right? Sin leads to death, friends. How would that change your heart and perspective knowing that sinfulness leads to, when it's fully grown, death and destruction. It's kind of like this. Imagine that you went for a long run and you really want a nice, refreshing glass of water. You've been running and you're tired and you're like, oh, sweet, I need something to drink. And this uh, perfect, pure glass of water is there waiting for you. And I just wanted to give it to you when you were standing there. I don't know. I guess I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come back in this scenario. And all of a sudden, I was like, all right, all right, wait, wait, wait. Here we are. Here's your perfect water. Here it is. But here is just a little bit of poison, a little bit of uh, just like some toxic sewage that I got from underneath uh, the, the, you know, basement of the church, just from the pipes. And I'm just going to put just, just, just like a little bit, just like a little bit of death, Right? just like a little bit of poison, just like a little bit of destruction, you'd probably look at me and be like, what in the world? Where did you, how did you get this? Why did you do this? And I'd say, don't worry about it. It's just an analogy for a sermon. You would never just sprinkle a little bit of destruction. You would never just flirt with like a little bit of death. But so oftentimes we're willing to flirt and engage with a little bit of sin. And we forget what James says. When sin, it's fully grown, brings forth death. We can't engage in it just a little bit, friends. It's not worth it. That's the perspective that we need to have on sin. It's very serious. If you're in your heart right now and something's like, you feel a little uncomfortable, yes, sin is uncomfortable. Sin is difficult to talk about, but it has to be talked about. You have to address it, friends. If God's Holy Spirit is moving in you right now, that's a good thing. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we see James, she's showing us, he's saying that it's not God who gives us those sinful desires because it's not his desire for us to be sinful. It, there's no possible way that God himself can be giving us those temptations because he himself is perfect and can't be tempted. It's our own desires. It's our own sinfulness that brings us to that. But what does God give us? What does God give us? It's verse 16, don't be deceived, my fellow, uh, my beloved brothers. Every good, and uh, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
Of his own will, he has brought us forth by the, uh, by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Friends, every good gift is from the Lord. James is saying that uh, a lot of these believers in this moment would have been tempted to think, man, is God giving me these temptations? Is God giving me this destruction? Because I was following him and my life was good, or I was not following him. My life was fine according to the world's eyes. And now my life is not as good because I'm following Jesus. What is going on? James says, no, 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 don't be deceived. Every good gift is from the Lord. Every good gift is from God. Everything good that happens in your life is because the Lord was there blessing you with it. And everything that would be destructive, everything that would be wrong, that comes from our own desires or from the world or from the enemy himself. But every good gift comes from the Lord. And verse 18 alludes to the best gift of all, of his own will. He brought us, believers, forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits amongst his creation. That first fruits idea there, the Israelites would have when they were following the Lord, when uh, they had their first harvest, wait for it, their first fruits, they would give those first fruits back to the Lord. They would uh, give them to God, often in a burnt offering, saying, these first fruits, they're for you, God. What's really interesting here is when sin and death shattered the world, when sin entered into the world, God didn't give up on us. God didn't give up on his uh, creation. He says what? That he's redeeming all things to himself. And he says that we are the first fruits of that recreation. We, if you know Jesus Christ, then you are one of the first things that have been redeemed throughout the history of what God is gonna do in the future. He's saying you are the first fruits of his creatures. And that is the best gift of all, friends. That's the best gift of all. If you know Jesus, then you're among some of the first things that God is making new. The first fruits of his creatures. That's a gift. That's a good and perfect gift from the Lord. The community of students that God has given you to live life with, that is a gift from the Lord. You're a parent who is guiding you and uh, discipling you to a closer relationship with Jesus. That is a good gift from the Lord. God gives only good gifts. We see this back and forth here in this passage of James. We see this back and forth of what lasts, what doesn't. What God gives us and what God doesn't give us. And friends, God gives us perfect gifts. God gives you perfect gifts. Don't put God in the position of the world or of the enemy. Don't be tempted to think, man, this really destructive and, and horrible thing is happening to me. It must be from God. Friend, God gives perfect and good gifts. Even the trials that we face, right? Here in the same exact chapter, even the difficult things we face, God is working in the midst of those things to make what? A more perfect faith in you. So do you believe that? Do you believe that every good thing in your life is because God has given it to you? How would that change your perspective? 
How would that change your heart? If you had those things readily available to you or on the top of your mind, if you were thinking and you were dwelling on those things on a constant basis, how would that change your perspective? How would that change your heart? I heard this cool story as we're closing here in a minute the other day of a, of a guy probably maybe 10, 15 years ago. He decided to write down every blessing that he received from the Lord, just like on, in a notebook. And he did it like number one, blessing, um, my family. Number one, or like number two, blessing, my relationship with my father. Number three, my relationship with my siblings. And he would write down every good gift that the Lord gave him. And he kept track of it all throughout the past 15 years or so. This guy apparently is on blessing 30,000 and counting. How would that change our hearts? How would that change our perspective? If we knew and kept track of every good and perfect gift that came from the Lord. Friends, these truths, these big kind of theological ideas, these big things that James is encouraging his listeners to engage in. Engage with these as well. Which one of these truths do you need to hold on to this week? Which one of these perspective shifts do you need to have? Do you need to have a kingdom mindset in the midst of your pursuits? Do you need to have a different perspective on sin and how it leads to death? Or do you need to have the perspective that the good gifts you receive are from the Lord and through that thankfulness we can live our lives? How would it change our lives this week? How would it change our lives for the rest of our lives if we believe these truths to be real and to be in front of us? Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, we're so thankful for these truths that you've blessed us with. God, I pray for these believers right now in this room. I pray that they would have a kingdom mindset. God, would they recognize that the things of this world will not last, but your kingdom will. Your kingdom will. I pray that they would have a kingdom mindset in the midst of their pursuits. God, I pray for them right now as they are engaging, they're seeing trials fall around them, God. I pray that they would uh, be not tempted to think that it's you who's bringing these temptations. God, I pray that they would know and realize that these temptations come from our own hearts. God, I pray for the student right now who is struggling with something. I pray that they would have the perspective that these things lead to death. And God, I pray that we would take joy and knowing that the good things that you have given us are from you. Would we know and would we thank you for the good gifts that you bring? Would our thankfulness uh, penetrate our hearts this week as we go out and live our lives? God, I pray that we would put our faith into action, that our perspective on life would be guided by these truths, that would be guided by the truth of your word. God, we love you. We're thankful for you. Be with us tonight. Be with us as we're continuing to sing of your praises, God. In the good times and the bad times, let us know that we are always called to praise you, that we can always praise you in the midst of our circumstances. Jesus, it's all this we pray in your name.